Hello, and welcome back to Cast from the Past, the Rice Historical Reviews podcast. Uh, today, um, I am joined by Melissa Carmona, our Lear Prize winner for her paper, Unity in the Face of Discrimination, How Mexican-American Activists Challenge the Educational System. Once again, I'm Annie McKenzie, and I'm the co-host for the podcast uh, this year. Um, but without further ado, we'll get started. Um, so, Melissa, if you don't mind, you want to just introduce yourself and your paper. So, like, what was it about? Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Annie. I'm Melissa Carmona. I am a senior uh, majoring in sociology and history and minoring in poverty, justice, human capabilities. Uh, Like Annie mentioned, the title of the paper, uh, Unity in the Face of Discrimination, How Mexican-American Activists Challenge the Educational System. I wrote this paper last year for Borderlands History class. Uh, And the main kind of crux of the paper is these three court cases that happened pre-Brown. Um, So one is called Del Rio ISD v. Salvateria, one is Delgado v. Bastrop ISD, and then another is Alvarez v. Lemon Grove. And kind of the point of all of these court cases was fighting against the educational segregation of Mexican-American schools in either Texas or California. Uh, I picked these cases because even though not all of them were successful and they kind of used these different strategies, I thought they were really key in setting the groundwork for Brown versus Board of Education, which was ultimately successful a few years later. Awesome. So kind of like on that note, you touched about like why you thought it was important to like highlight these cases. Um, But why did you choose to write on this particular fight of Mexican-Americans to integrate schools? Yes. So there were a few different reasons. I think one of those reasons was uh, just I don't think this subject gets enough attention. Uh, I I mean, in elementary school, in middle school, high school, uh, you always hear about Brown versus Board of Education. And so I had grown up knowing a lot about this court case and knowing a lot about the civil rights kind of journey for educational desegregation, but not as much about what I write about in the paper with Mexican-American students. So one, for me, it was just a really good experience to be able to learn about this topic and also write about it in a way that would shed light on something I don't think gets too much attention in the mainstream. So that's one reason. I think a second reason that I really wanted to write about this subject was that there are a lot of kind of social issues that I saw playing out in these court cases. So one of them was um, kind of the racialization of Mexican-American students. Something that came up in several of these court cases was how to classify uh, Mexican-American students in the early versions of the census. Mexican students were considered like legally white, but socially like not white. And so it was interesting to see how that like juxtaposed with like what the law said, right, about what race these students were versus how they were actually being treated in their schools. So I thought that was an interesting social issue um, to talk about in this paper. And then the last thing that I kind of wanted to mention that was really interesting to me in this paper was the social movement kind of activist side of it. So like I mentioned, I'm a sociology major, and one of the topics that I'm really interested in is just social movement formation, how people get interested in causes, how they organize around causes, and how they can kind of make change happen through just kind of more of a grassroots approach. And so that was something really interesting to me, too, in this story. So in this era, you have the formation of LULAC, which is the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is an organization that's still around today. Um, And now they do a lot of different things. They fight for a lot of different civil rights. But I thought it was really interesting how, like, the formation of this organization really coincided with the movement to um, desegregate Mexican-American students in school. So kind of that role that education has in, in unifying the communities was something that I really liked throughout the, throughout the cases as well. 
Awesome. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Um, I think I know I'm taking a Latino politics class this semester. We did talk a little bit about like the racialization of like on the census. It's like you're classified as, you know, white, but it's very much not Mm -hmm. um, translated then into how like they're viewed and how Mexican-Americans were viewed in society, especially in terms of like segregation of schools and stuff like that. Um, But kind of I guess moving more into like the um, groundwork for your paper, how did, what was your research process like specifically? Like how did you find, you know, your, the court cases, how did you access that information? Um, You know, where did you look to for that? So like I mentioned, I wrote this paper for a borderlands history class um, and that class was a seminar class. So essentially the whole time you're in the class, you're doing research on uh, a specific topic. And so I had originally picked a different topic. I wanted to write about, I think, human trafficking in the 21st century. Um, but I pivoted to this education topic because at the same time I was taking a class titled Race, Class, and Gender in Education. Um, and one of the books we were reading was talking about uh, language barriers that Mexican-American students face um, when they're trying to access schools. And they're just trying to be educated in general. And so I thought that topic about like bilingual education um, and the kind of resources that students who don't speak English are afforded was really interesting. And so I kind of started looking into it more um, through the lens of that class, especially since some of the readings we were talking about were really emphasizing that Mexican people have been in Texas kind of throughout the whole history of what Texas even is. Um, So I started looking more into that and I found some key secondary sources. So there are a lot of good books written about these court cases um, that really helped inform that approach. Uh, And so I kind of was framing it through the pre-Brown and just wanting to find out more about a topic I didn't know about, but also framing it in the, you know, bilingual education in the context of the border um, was the other kind of key part. I did use some key primary sources. Um, I think in the early iterations of the project, I really wanted to find sources that LULAC had when they were like first arguing these cases and first involved in the organizations of these cases. So I went to University of Houston's archives. They have a lot of stuff on LULAC, but it's a lot of stuff that's like 1950s forward. So it wasn't super relevant to my project. And then I also went to the University of Texas at Austin archive, and they had some really good stuff about some of the court cases that I was able to um, incorporate into my project as well. So yeah, so it was like kind of the groundwork with a lot of the secondary literature um, and making sure that I was framing it through the borderlands context of, you know, just Mexican-American people who are living on these border sites, as well as some of the older um, court cases. So looking at the actual like legal writings that people were doing for these court cases, as well as the materials that LULEC has produced about these court cases um, was key in in kind of that archival research component of it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I didn't even... I think about like so you actually could like drive to Austin or like go into the UH archives for this yes um so UH was easy because UH right is here. here um Austin I it kind of was like a tag along to another trip that I was nice. doing um but it I mean accessing an archive is like pretty easy you I think for uh UT Austin I just like made a reservation and then the librarians there were super nice they were like this is how you do everything. If you want to come back, you can. Um, so it was definitely intimidating for me when I was first going into an archive. I was like, I don't really know what to do. But um, both at UH and at UT Austin, uh, the people that worked there were super nice and made it kind of easy to find the documents that you were looking for. Nice, nice. Um, you talked a little bit about kind of like, I suppose that personal experience of not learning much about these cases. Um, 
versus in comparison to specifically Brown v. Board of Education, which is kind of a we hear about like on our entire academic journey. Um, what do you think the importance is of understanding this topic? And do you see like any similarities with events today or like any particular thing that um, illustrates or exemplifies its relevance? Yes. So I think one key component that makes this paper really relevant is just the amount of like Latino students that are in the education system today. I think I know for sure in Texas, they already make up over like 50 percent of students um, in the state. And I think for the whole United States, it's like in the 30 percentiles, um, the component that they make up. But it's like the fastest growing population. um, And we're just going to see like many more Latino students. So there are already millions of students kind of in the education system um, that are coming from this background of immigration. They're coming from this background of bilingual education. Um, So I think it's really important to address those issues and make sure you kind of know the history behind them in order to see where people are coming from and be able to better educate um, students today. I think Today, there's still a lot of discussion over, you know, the role of providing bilingual education, the role of providing English second language education in schools. Um, And so I think, you know, you see a lot of these issues pop up in these court cases, but I think they're still like happening today about um, some students not getting like the resources they need. Um, On the bigger side of desegregation, um, I'm not going to get into like the whole story of desegregation, um, but basically you have these court cases. like the ones I talk about and then the subsequent like brown ones um, and the ones after that uh, that kind of have shaped desegregation today in a way that I think segregation is still very much a problem that is happening in schools in the United States, especially public schools. So even in Houston, you have a lot of schools that are primarily Latino um, or primarily African-American. You're having large concentrations of minority students in these schools and you're not getting they're not getting the resources that they need. So I think it's something important to acknowledge that happened in the history, but also to see as a problem that has not really gone away, even with these court cases. Um, So kind of reading this, I think it was really interesting um, when I was writing it, seeing these problems pop up 100 years ago almost, and then kind of seeing them pop up still today and the fact that some schools are very much segregated and some students very much are not getting the resources that they need. Interesting. Yeah. No, I definitely definitely agree. It's still Mm -hmm. We still see like points where it's it's very relevant these cases and when I was reading the paper um, before we published we, ch- we like when we were in the publishing process I there were definitely parts where I thought oh yeah you can mm-hmm. still see how this 100% applies today um, kind of like on that note do you see yourself in the future wanting to do any future research on this topic uh, it seems like your majors and your minor you know sociology and history and poverty justice and human capabilities kind of do perhaps align with some of the themes uh, that you explored in the paper. So do you think you would do any future research on this topic at any point? I think I really want to. Um, when I was doing that archival research at UT Austin, I actually found some other court cases um, that I was like, wow, this could fit into the paper. But then I was like, I <laughs> yeah. I, I need to finish writing. Um, so there are definitely like a lot of things still out there, I think. Um, and I've read other books in secondary literature since that like talk about more of these court cases. So I think... There is more to be researched, and I definitely do want to be part of the discussion. Um, I'm a senior at Rice, so I'm not exactly sure what my future is going to hold, but I definitely have done a lot of research on, like, education, um, and I think especially through the lens of, like, Latino students, um, given that that's, like, 
one of the fastest growing demographic populations and it's just a lot of students are being affected by these issues. It's something I'm definitely interested in. Um, we'll just have to see what my educational yeah. career looks like. Uh, I'm not completely closed off to like grad school yet. So maybe I will do it. I think if I do do like some sort of graduate career, I would definitely do issues around education and issues with Latino students. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see. On that note, um, and you, this is like a bonus question. So um, since you are a senior, do you have any specific plans for next year? Or are you just kind of waiting and seeing like, how is, how is being a senior? You're like two and a half weeks out from graduation or so. Yeah. So how does it, do you have any plans for next year or is just at rice there are a lot of opportunities to do like postgraduate research if you want to uh so one of those uh opportunities that i did was a wagner fellowship through the center for civic leadership um and so i was awarded a travel grant to go do Mex research in mexico city for six months um that's kind of different from this but it still has like the social movement component about it so i'm interested in like the feminist movement and how they transform urban space um, so I see myself doing that research for the next six months. After that, I'm not 100% sure what I'll do. Um, but like I said, I really hope to keep doing like research. Um, I This is not as related to history, but I'm really interested in like ethnographic research um, and just like talking to people about these issues. Uh, so yeah, that's what I see myself doing for at least the next six yeah. months. No, definitely very interesting. Um, since you are also closing out, I suppose, your time here at Rice, what do you think, sorry, just another bonus question, mm -hmm. what do you think your favorite history class has been here? I know that can be a tough one, but sometimes I like to survey all the history majors and <laughs> get course recommendations. Let me think. So I think uh, the history of feminism, uh, I took that class when my junior year. Uh, that was a real. I took it with Professor Wildenthal. I really liked that class. Uh, you kind of survey a lot of feminist writings throughout history. You learn a lot of like common feminist theories and arguments that feminists make. Um, that class was really interesting to me. You also do like a lot of like reading with like pr these primary sources in a way that like is really challenging at first, but eventually you get better at it. So I really enjoyed that class just in terms of content and how it was organized. I think a class I also really enjoyed was my freshman year, so quite a while ago, uh, called Latin American Cultural Traditions with uh, Professor Metcalf. I took that class too, yeah. Yeah, that class was really good. I think it was um, a good like entree into like a lot of the issues in Latin America and a lot of the things that have been written. I think one of my favorite things in that class was reading 100 Years of Solitude, um, just because it's a really good book and like it makes you think about things in a really different way. And I think it's a good example of how like um, you can still have history and other things. Right. So that book um, was like, you know, very like mythical and stuff, but it still had a lot of components of the history of that region, um, which I thought was super interesting. So those are my favorite classes. Awesome. <laughs> I've already taken one of them. But. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I also thoroughly, I think, enjoyed uh, reading 100 Years of Solitude and kind of like following mm -hmm the historical events that we like see in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but on that note, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here? Thank you again for coming on. It's been so interesting to learn more about the paper and more about your like experience here in the history department. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess like just emphasizing the relevance. Um, I think of like the, the discussions being had um, even when these court cases were happening. Cause I think the intersection of like race and education still is very much like, 
a hot button issue that a lot of people talk about today. Um, so I'm just curious, um, I guess, to see what all happens like in the future, how we keep thinking about um, desegregation, how we keep thinking about um, race and education, how we keep thinking about language and education. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my like final note. Um, I think I encourage like anyone listening to this to like read the paper if you have time, but also just like pay attention about what's happening in the news about um, education. Cause I think it really is a reflection of like what we want society to be, I guess, um, and who we consider as like worthy of like getting all the resources and who we don't. Um, so yeah, that's main takeaway. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, good luck on all your future endeavors and congratulations on both the Lear Prize and making it to graduation. Yes. Thank so. you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to interview me.